Good morning again. What a great day. All right, I'm going to officially admit it's hot out there. It's really hot out there. It was, it was actually getting hot in here. Uh, I want to I do some teaching today as opposed to preaching. Is that okay? Well, if I get excited, then we'll just call it treaching. So, but I, I don't, if you ask me, Pastor, where are we going as far as vision and direction? I kind of have a glimpse, kind of see where we're going, what, we're, what the Lord is doing. And if you look around the church, uh, you can see the direction that the Lord is pulling our hearts. Uh, if you looked at the paper, I think it was yesterday, day before, uh, in the Orlando Sentinel, or if you can just, you can Google it, great article uh, that had, had our church in it about a foster care group that's using our gym to uh, practice a play that they are performing at Dr. Phillips. And we allowed them to use the gym and the facilities with no charge. So, so the community, they were able to save several thousand dollars and that money went directly to helping foster children. And that's you. You know, yeah. So that's that's the direction that that I really feel that the Lord is pulling us is is getting into the community, being the community, not just being part, not being just involved in the community, but actually rolling up our sleeves and being the community, helping in any way and every way we can. So I do know this that where we're going and what the Lord wants us to do is going to require more than us working in our own efforts because our own efforts won't won't suffice so I want to talk to you today about Christ our sanctifier we've meant I've taught on this before there when the there's two important parts of that scripture if you have a bible you might want to hang on to it or if you have a bible on your phone you know, you might want to follow along with me, or if you want to play video games, just look like you're reading and we're okay. Um, so, but Christ our sanctified. In that passage of Scripture, John said he baptized with water, but Jesus was going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. So there's, there's two important Things that I want to look at in that passage of Scripture. There's two important realities that most Christians uh, need to look at. The first one is he is the one that takes away the sin of the world. And I think we get that. I think we understand that. It, it's called justification. When we give our lives to Christ, when we, when we bow our knee and our heart, as, as Paul said, if we confess with, believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's, it's a legal term, justification, that means that we are declared innocent in the eyes of the law. That's what justification means. And it's, if you are a Christian, you have been justified. There are no Christians that have not been justified. Justification simply means when you stand before a judge, he's going to look at you and say, I declare you innocent. It doesn't matter if you're guilty or not. You've been declared innocent. We are declared innocent by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are justified by the work of the cross. Faith in what Christ has done. We have come to him. We have confessed with our mouth. We believe in him in what he did we have developed a relationship with him 
and we know that we are the children of the living God. Don't you love that? The second part of that, I don't know how many Christians, but many Christians do not understand the experience of the second. That he would baptize us with the Holy Spirit in our lives. See, we receive a measure of the Holy Spirit when we are saved. When you are justified, you will receive a measure of the Spirit of Christ. But that is not all there is in this thing called sanctification or being sanctified. Because sanctification is the ongoing process from the time you're justified until the time the Lord comes back and we're glorified. It's that intermediary place where we're growing and we're being nurtured into the image of Christ. We can't do it on our own. It requires the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And, and yes, I do believe that you can have more of the Holy Spirit on, on some days than you can on others. Uh, you, ever, you ever have been driving down Interstate 4, somebody cut you off? And all your Holy Spirit just goes right out the window. It's gone. I do not believe in two classes of Christians. But I do believe that, that there are some Christians that follow the Spirit of the Lord closer than others. This is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. He said this, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4. If you know anything about the church in Corinth, it was a pretty wild place. He says, brothers, I, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. And here's Paul. And he's saying, listen, here's two types of Christians. There, there's spiritual Christians, and then, then there's worldly Christians. There's, there's Christians that follow after the Spirit, and then there's Christians that follow after the world. He said, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I love that, mere infants. I, I love that term, infant. Because you guys are they're a small baby. I, I have a, a new granddaughter and went out to see her a few weeks ago. My job was just to hold her until she had an accident, then I gave her back to her mom. Or she was hungry. But when she was sleeping, I was holding her. That was my job. I love infants. But you know, if I wanted a steak, she couldn't have any because she couldn't handle it. She can only handle milk because she is an infant. She hasn't matured. She hasn't grown. And this is the concept that Paul is trying to teach the church in Corinth that, that there are two categories here of Christians. There's worldly Christians and there's spiritual Christians. The worldly Christians, the Christians that are focused on, on themselves, he said, I, I, I have to give you milk because I can't give you solid food because you can't receive it. You're not ready to receive it. It lets me know that on this Christian walk, on this Christian journey, when we, when we bow our knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and, and we receive Christ, we're infants. There is a whole world a spiritual world out there for us to grow and mature and to walk in. If you are over the age of 20, you have realized that, that this life has a lot to offer. You remember back when you were about 15 
and you knew everything there was to know. And now you just kind of forget, don't you? In fact, the older I get, the less I know. Paul, Paul is saying, if you indeed you are not ready because you're still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not mere men? And what he's, what he's looking at is, is simply this. Christians are born again into the spiritual world, but Christians have to grow like children grow. And he's saying, here's the criteria for being an infant. Here's the criteria for being a worldly Christian. It's the lack of knowledge. It's, it's that test that you're quarreling, that you're arguing, that you're jealous, that, that you have to have it your way. You ever tell a two-year-old that they can't have something? Oh, I'm so glad I don't have two-year-olds. But, but that's what Paul is trying to get to the church in Corinth. As long as, you're, as long as you're saying my way is better and I want my way and I want to do it my way and my way is best and if I don't get my way, I'm going to take my marbles and go home. As long as you're, you're causing that and you're feeling that in your, in your spirit, you're still a worldly Christian, a baby in the spiritual realm. Somewhere... In there, Paul is saying, listen, you have to get to that place that you begin to walk in the Spirit, that you mature in Christ, that you realize that, that life is more about giving to others than it is about receiving yourself. When you're a kid at Christmas, the very first thing you want to do is get up, go down, and look at all the steps you're going to receive. But now, now I still like to receive stuff. But now I like to give. I like to watch the faces of those receiving. It's maturity. It's preferring others. And you, you know what I'm talking about. And that's what, that's what Paul is talking about to us. That, that somewhere in there, that if we want to walk in the Spirit of the Lord, if we want to be a spiritual Christian, then we cannot think and act according to our own mind the way we think it should be. Because quarreling and jealousy and all of these things, they're products of self. What self wants. Here's what Paul goes on to say in Romans 7, 6. He said, whether you're a, a worldly Christian or a spiritual Christian will determine what propels you. Are you self-propelled or are you spirit-led? Look at Romans 7, 6. It says this, but now... By dying to what once bound us. I love that. What once bound us? What, what, we were bound in our sins, were we not? We're bound, and he said, what once we have, and, and the law, and he says, we have been released from the law so that we now serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What Paul is, is trying to help the Roman understanding in his writing to, to, uh, to the Romans was simply this, that 
if you're trying to serve God by according to the law, by according to your own efforts and your own energy and your own strength, trying to, try to get a list of do's and don'ts and, and, and trying to measure yourself against either a set of rules or against other people, you're going to stumble and fall. Because if you really want to, to be that spiritual that Christian and not that worldly Christian, you have to get to the place that you follow after the Spirit. See, we can't be good enough on our own to obtain this freedom. If you really want freedom in Christ, as, as Paul writes in Romans 8.1, he says, Therefore there is no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Do you hear that? That you're not living according to the sinful nature? Well, what is the sinful nature? It's how we think out without Christ. It's how we think things should be. It's how we think things should run. It's how we perceive life apart from God. And if you notice, I don't know about you, but I, I do know about me that when I think apart from God, most of it is very self-centered. But following the Spirit, I love that, who follow after the Spirit. When we allow the Spirit to lead our lives, we become free and there's no sentencing, there's no condemnation because the Spirit will always lead you in the ways of righteousness, of doing the right thing. Romans 7:18 says to follow the Spirit, we must first come to terms that our ways are just not good enough, that our ways are not sufficient, that we can't follow after him with our own ways if you if you look at this church this is st luke's in liverpool may 5th 1941 it was bombed out you can tell it was a church but it's just a shell of a church see that's that's the way humanity is apart from god you, we were made in the Imago Dei, the image of God. But through our fallen nature, through our worldly understanding, we are just a shell of what we used to be, of what God intended us to be. And if we want to really look and function as God has intended, we cannot try to serve him on our own measure. We must follow after the Spirit. We do not understand how to use that little good that's in us. It's the Spirit of the Lord that has to rebuild us. So the question is in Ephesians, Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. I love that word, debauchery. Isn't that a cool word? Debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now think about this for a moment. He's writing to the church in Ephesus. Who's he writing to? He's writing to Christians. And he's telling Christians, Christians, those that know Christ, those that are following Christ, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. What does that tell you? Christians need to be filled. I, I, I love it. If you look at if you look at the scripture, it will tell you implicitly that Christians 
can be filled and refilled and refilled over and over again with the Holy Spirit. It's not a one-time process. It's not, okay, I received the Spirit, so now I'm good. Mark that one off and move on. It is a relationship with Christ. It's the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in us. There is a, a need, and there are times in our lives where, where we can be filled. I, I love how where he said, be filled with the Spirit. He said, don't, don't be drunk with wine, which changes the way you think and always leads to ruin but be filled with the spirit you know what he's saying is we're going to be led by something i love that that verb is imperative be filled you be filled it's not a suggestion it's a commandment be filled with the spirit and it's it's not only imperative but it's passive you be filled. You know what passive means? You're receiving the action. You don't fill yourself. Somebody else has to fill you with the Spirit. Who's going to fill you with the Spirit? Does not Christ baptize with the Holy Spirit? It's important to understand that if you want the Holy Spirit working and living and dwelling in you, you have to allow the Spirit to fill you. You cannot fill yourself. You cannot work your way to a place where the Lord is going to say, I'm just going to allow the Holy Spirit just to fill you. You have to get to that place. So, so how, do, how do you do that? Well, I'm so glad that you asked. The very first thing you have to do if you really want to live that Spirit-filled life is you need to learn to surrender let's take that back we need to learn to surrender you ever you ever surrender and then take it back we we kind of do that sometimes look at romans 12 1 and 2 it simply says this therefore i urge you i like the the king james it says i beg you urge beg plead contend he, he's groveling i i urge you brothers in the view of god's mercy Looking at the mercy of God. What is mercy? Not receiving what we do deserve. Think about what we really, truly deserve from God. And then keep that in front of you and say, in light of, in view of what you should be doing, what you should be receiving, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Think about what we should be deserving without the cross of Christ, without the forgiveness of sins, without the opportunity to be born again, without this great blessing of salvation that we are now the children of the living God. Think about where we were. We were lost and without hope. And this world was lost and without hope. But Christ came. Think about where we are without Christ. We were without hope, lost in this world, walking in darkness. Paul said it this way. He said, 
don't you know that you were dead in your trespasses and sins? You weren't just in the doghouse with God. You were in the cemetery. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. We were going to stand before a righteous God and he was going to judge us based upon the sin in our life. But Christ came. And Paul is saying, I want you to stop. I want you to look back. I want you to look at your life. Look at what you were going and where you were heading before Christ. And in view of that, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual or reasonable act of worship. Present your body. In other words, everything you do, surrender it to God. Surrender your will. Surrender your attitude. Surrender your actions. Everything you are and everything that you are going to be, surrender it to God. In light of what you were going to receive. But now, by the mercy of God, you're not. I love do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Boy, this, the pattern of this world is a pretty crazy pattern. Have you noticed that? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Offer yourself, offer your, surrender your spirit. I believe everybody here desires more of the spirit of God in their life. And I've said this probably a thousand times, I'll say it a thousand times more, but we're as close to God as we want to be. Because we can get closer because he said, come to me and I will come to you. Draw close to me and I'll draw close to you. The only thing that's keeping us from having that close, intimate, personal relationship with Christ that we really kind of want along on the inside is us. It's not God. It's us. Here's the good news. You can have that. All of us can have that when we surrender self. Surrender self. Live the way God desires you to live. How is that? Living in the Spirit, in the Spirit of God. So we receive, we surrender, then we have to accept. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself to me. I love that. I have been. It's past tense. I've already been crucified. And by faith, it's present tense. Right now, I gave my life to Christ. But right now, present tense, I'm living by faith. Trust in Him. I'm living my life on a daily basis, trusting in the Lord. Trusting in His goodness. Trusting in His grace. Trusting in His provision. Trusting that He will keep me. And, and keep my life. To accept. To accept him means to admit that 
we don't have all the answers. And I don't know about you, but that, sometimes that really bugs me. Man, to have to admit that you don't have all the answers, that you can't fix it yourself, that you can't solve it yourself. So we need to learn to accept him. We surrender. We accept. Then the third thing is we simply abide in him. I love the story in John, John 15. Jesus says this, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Remain in me. Listen to that. Remain or abide in me. And I will remain in you. You know, have you ever noticed that God works on an if-then proposition? If you do this, then I'll do that. Remember uh, 2 Corinthians 7.14? If my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. If you do this, then I will do that. God always works on an if-then proposition. If you do your part, he'll do his. And that's what he is saying right here. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Remain in me, abide in me. If you abide in me, I will abide in you. If you are searching for me, you will be found by me. If you want more of my spirit, you will have more of my spirit. Abide in me. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. We, Alan went by and cut a bunch of the branches off of the trees the other day. And it looked really great. It had big piles of green branches. And a few days later, we had a bunch of piles of brown shriveled branches what happened to them they were cut from the vine a branch no matter how beautiful or how large or how grand if it's separated from its source of strength will shrivel and die you remember the story of the prodigal son where the man had two sons and and the younger one said, Dad, give me all my stuff. I want my, I want my uh, money and I want it now. So the dad gave him his inheritance and he took off and he went and spent it. And eventually he ran out of money and he was broke. He said, well, what happened? Well, he was cut off from the source. See, the things that we have of the Lord... The goodness, meekness, temperance, faith, any of the fruit of the Spirit that you have that is working in your life. If you don't abide in Him, if I don't abide in Him, we, we don't produce that on our own. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what gives us life inside us. And, and if we are separated, if we're not abiding in Him... That goodness and that joy that you have will eventually run out and shrivel and die apart from Christ. Abide in him. Jesus said, if you abide in me, if you remain in me, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But look at that last word. Apart from me, 
you can do nothing. Nothing. That's terrible. Nothing. Apart from him. Abiding, continuing to surrender, continuing to walk in Him, continuing to follow after the Spirit. We can't produce the Spirit within us, but when we begin to walk in relationship with Christ, when we abide in Him through, through prayer, through study of the Word, through meditating on the Word of God, through conversation with Christ, that's what it will help us, surrendering to Him. There are some hindrances to, to walking in this spirit. What time is it? 11? Okay, we'll go a couple more minutes. And if we don't quit, if we don't finish, well, we'll just pick it up another time. A couple of hindrances to, is simply a lack of knowledge, a lack of understanding what the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit can do in your life. And I would encourage you to study the scriptures and you will find that, especially like in the book of Acts, that, that the, in, the, in the history of the church, that people were filled and they were refilled with the Spirit of the living God. Allow yourself that opportunity to, to look at what the Scripture says about being filled with His Spirit. You ever been in a church service where you felt the presence of God so strong it's like you know, the hair of your arm sticks up? And you walk and you walk, wow, you know. You know, and I, I've said this before too, but I like this line so much. So, but the reason why we have to be filled and refilled is because we're cracked pots and we leak. We constantly have to have connected to the source, the vine. Lack of knowledge. Another one is simply this, sin. What is Sin. Anything that goes against God. Ephesians 4.30, it says, Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Don't bring sorrow. Isn't that, now think about that for a moment. Don't bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Sorrow, sadness. I love children. I love my own children. I like yours. If you have children, you've been around children, you have been a child, you know that children can break their parents' hearts. You ever notice that? Have you ever thought about your relationship with God in the sense that when we don't live the way he wants us to live, he's not that big, angry God that we look at. He is righteous, don't get me wrong. But it's not like the bumper sticker says, God's coming back and boy is he mad. It breaks his heart. Have you ever thought about God as when we are doing something wrong, it breaks his heart? It breaks his heart. This is what Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus. Don't bring sorrow to God's Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He is the one who has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit 
by the way you live. Oh, but I really want to do that, and I know that God will forgive me. But what about grieving the Holy Spirit? We can do that. Sin has its season, but sin is so devastating. It's devastating to our relationship with God. It's devastating to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I love what John said in 1 John. He said, if any man sin, we have an advocate with, the right, with, with God, Jesus Christ the righteous. And if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Have you ever considered the fact that he's actually writing to Christians? He's saying that if you sin, if you confess your sin, well, I thought that the Lord forgave me of my sin. Yes. Why do we need to confess? Because the acknowledgement of doing something wrong is essential in the forgiving process of a relationship with someone. If I offend my wife, I just can't say, oh, I'm sorry. I have to say, I'm sorry. Here's what I did wrong. Here's why I feel bad about it. And here's what I'm going to do to make it up. What God is really wanting from us, when John said, if any man sin, we have that, that advocate. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. What, Paul, what John is really trying to help us understand is this thing that we have, this salvation, it's not a get-out-of-hell-free card. It's an open invitation to having a personal, one-on-one -on -one relationship with the creator of the heavens and the earth. And he wants to have a clear, open, loving relationship with us. But sin separates us. And he wants that sin removed, not so... So he can penalize us, but that we can have a relationship with him. Sin. Fear. Fear really will get us. Fear. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. You know, I've had, I've had people talk to me about gifts of the Spirit and stuff. And they'll say, Pastor, I don't want to do that. I don't want to have that. And I say, don't worry, you won't. It's because fear of some of the things. You know what? You know, I really think that, that fear about some of the things of God. Because let's go back to the beginning. There is a whole spiritual world out there. And when we're born again, we're born as infants. And we need to learn to grow into that spiritual realm. But there's, there's a lot of things out there. You know what I think really fear is? It's not being in control. It's surrender. It's trusting in him more than we trust in ourselves. It's really, you know, we use the word fear, but in reality it's about us grasping what, what we want to hold on to and surrendering it to the Lord. Or lack of desire, lack of desire. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. They will be filled. 
a lack of desire. Remember when Jesus was talking about the parable of the sower and some of the seed fell on, on thorny ground and the cares of life came up and choked it out? That can happen in our relationship with the Lord. And I'll be honest with you, it's happened in my own relationship with the Lord so many times I can't remember. I you know, go, go through a good church service and you walk out, I am going to love the Lord. I am going to fast three days a week. I'm going to read my Bible two hours every morning. I'm going to talk to 14 people every day about Jesus before noon. You ever do that? Then life hits. Boom. A couple weeks later, you realize you haven't done anything you said you were going to do. Because the things of this world can get us to the place that, that it's not that we don't want to, but the desire to be closer to the Lord, to hunger and thirst after righteousness. There's so many things in this world that, that will keep your appetite suppressed for the righteousness of God. So I would encourage you to... to Create that desire to hunger and thirst for the things of God. So, I'm going to move on quickly here. Don't want that one? Don't want that one. Two great errors as our, as our praise team comes back. Is avoiding a relationship with the Holy Spirit out of fear. A lot of people fear walking with Christ. You know what the other one is? You say, well, Pastor, I see it on the screen. Seeking an experience and not a relationship. We talk about the gift of the Holy Spirit, but the gift of the Holy Spirit, we're, we're... Holy Spirit's God. We're talking about having a relationship with God, about growing in relationship with Him. If you're seeking an experience, you'll never encounter what the Lord really wants us to have is a close, intimate, working relationship with the Holy Spirit of the living God, living and dwelling in us. So, Pastor, where are we going? It's going to be... a it's going to be a big journey. It's going to be a lot of fun. What's it going to take? It's going to take each and every one of us fulfilling what God wants us to do and wants us to be. And I want the doing to be birthed out of the being. And the being comes with not being drunk with wine, but being filled with the Spirit.